0: It's a joke if you guys don't know. This morning's scripture reading will be taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 14, uh, verses 6. Yeah, just verses 6. That's 1 Samuel, chapter 14, verse 6. It reads, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. I hadn't turned my microphone on, so I had to say that again. Let me tell you, sometimes sermons are easy to write. You know, it just flows through the fingertips onto the keyboard. Other times, it feels like banging my head against a brick wall. And I will admit to you, this week was one of those challenging weeks. You might call it, the tyranny of the blank page, or writer's block. But whatever you call it, I was struggling with it this week. Sorry, I'm popping. Let me. Whatever you call it, I was struggling with it this week. And whenever I struggle writing a sermon, the, the biggest problem is the blank page. And so I was staring at my blank computer screen a few days ago, when I heard a lot of distracting noise outside my office. And as you can imagine, since we're trying to be out of this building by a certain time, there's a lot of people coming and going throughout the week. And they were moving stuff and throwing stuff away and, you know, doing a good work, but they were having some kind of really fun time doing it. And they were laughing and making all sorts of noise. And at, some, at one point, I heard a, a, really a commotion coming from Richard's office. People laughing and just causing a storm of noise. And so I decided I would step away from my blank page and I would leave the sanctuary of my office for just a moment and see what was going on. And I went into Richard's office and I found Richard and Ellen and Deanne and Cassidy all gathered around his computer screen. And they were watching old videos. Old videos from the Newland Street Bible class program. And they were really just taking a trip down memory lane of all the t- things that have happened in this building of all the times that they have spent together of this family and they were listening to old cassettes that Richard had found as he was cleaning out his office and I don't know who owns a cassette player but <laughs> Richard does so he was listening to old cassettes of old he even found one of his first sermon and, and they, were, they were just having a good time traveling down memory lane. And maybe I was just desperate for a sermon, but it got me thinking. It made me think about how, first of all, I'm very blessed to be a part of this family. Even though I haven't been here quite as long as, as many of you, and I, there's a lot of stuff I still don't know, a lot of experiences that I wasn't a part of, I still, with confidence, can say that I'm a part of the family, and I really love that and appreciate that. And the second thing it made me think is that the time we're in right now is a time that I will always look back on nostalgically. I will look back on this time right now with joy in my heart and with excitement remembering back to how great it was. I hope you can say that too. But that's that's definitely how it's been for me. Not only because of the move, and that's a huge part of it we're going to be talking about this morning, but also because my son was just born and... He's now a year old and crawling. And it is sad, I guess, that he won't remember this building. But I'll remember him crawling around my office and in these hallways here. I'll remember and I'll cherish these memories forever. And this is a time that will be and is one of the most exciting times of my life. This is going to be up there. I can already tell. This is going to be up there with the time I was in college. I'm going to look back on this and think, oh, wow, what an amazing moment when an entire congregation put their faith and their trust in God, when they put their faith and their trust in their elders, when an entire congregation stepped out in faith. I've got to say, what we have here, take my word for it, it's pretty rare. What we're doing, this, this movement of faith, He's pretty rare. I've been all over the country. I've been at many churches. I've never been a part of a church that collectively stepped out in faith the way we are. And i got to say, that makes me so excited for our future. It makes me so excited for what God has in store for us. I hope you can have that same confidence with me. Because this is an amazing group of believers, an amazing family, and I have confidence that God is with us. Now last week, Richard talked about stepping out in faith and reaching that point of no return, which is where we're at right now. We're at that point of no return. And he looked at several stories in Scripture of of people who went through a very similar time in their lives, a, a similar time where God was speaking to them, giving them a direction that they should go, and then they took that first step and then they might have had second thoughts, right? Because they've reached that point where they, can't, they can no longer change their mind. They can no longer undo what they've started. And we are at that point. And he looked at several stories. But I noticed a similarity in all of these stories. And that is that each and every one of these people, that I, at least as far as I can remember, actually had the direct instructions from God where God was telling them exactly what to do, verbally perhaps, right? In most cases, verbally, they were being told what they were supposed to do. And so I thought, well, is there a story that we could look to in Scripture similarly, that, yes, it's a person stepping out in faith, but is there a story in Scripture we can look to where they, they weren't sure that what they were doing was the correct course of action? Where they weren't being told directly, what to do. And I found one story that we're going to look at in First Samuel chapter 14. You can go ahead and turn there. First Samuel chapter 14, we'll look at it in just a moment, but let me just set the scene for you. We're going back in time to ancient Israel. Saul has just been named king, and although he started off on the right foot, he's beginning to show a lot of signs of sinfulness, a lot of signs of rebellion, things are starting to turn the way Samuel warned them it would turn. Samuel warned them when they chose their king. He said, this isn't going to turn out the way you think. It's not going to go well for you because having a king is not a good idea. But they, God allowed that rebellion for them having a king. And now we're seeing as we read the story, this great guy Saul is starting to go downhill. And he's starting to do things that he's not supposed to. But on top of all of that, it gets even worse. The Philistines are attacking. Israel has their back against the wall. They have camped out, the Philistines have camped out at the city of Michmash, which is kind of this city up on a mountain. It's very fortified. And they've taken this city and they feel comfortable enough to send out raiding parties. So the Philistines are up in this fortified city, and they're sending raiding parties north, east, and west, just to do whatever they want. And they're sending this ar- army out across Israel and taking whatever they want. And so Saul, his job as king, is to protect the people, to gather an army. They gather the gather together. And if things didn't seem dire enough, wait, there's more. You see, the people of Israel are severely unarmed. They gather everyone together, and they say, okay, what kind of weapons do you have? No one's got a sword. No one's got an axe. No one's got a spear. Perhaps, and we're not ex- explicitly told, but we're, we are told that only Saul and his son Jonathan had swords. Everyone else were left to assume that they had farm equipment, that they would sharpen. You see, the Philistines had done everything in their power to disarm the Israelite population. And it had worked. They'd taken out all the blacksmiths and they had kind of made it uh, so that you had to go to them to get any weapons. And so now here Israel is without any weaponry. It's in the midst of this very dire situation that we begin reading. Chapter 13, verse 23 says, Now a Philistine garrison took control of the pass at Michmash, That same day, Saul's son, Jonathan, said to the attendant who carried his weapons, Come on, let's cross over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. However, he did not tell his father. So things are getting pretty desperate, as you can guess. And it's in this moment of desperation that Jonathan decides to turn to his armor bearer and say, Hey, let's go. Let's go to the garrison. Let's go to this fortified and let's attack them. Now, imagine you're the armor bearer for a moment. What would you think? You'd think that Jonathan had accidentally hit his head at some point. You'd be saying, Jonathan, I know you're, you're the king's son and all that, but what you're talking about is crazy. Maybe the sun's gotten to you. Take a seat, please. You know, here's some water. Just stop talking, right? That's how I would probably react with if Jonathan is, is telling me, hey, let's go fight in, you know, a group of soldiers, an entire garrison, with just the two of us, and most likely, what's the case? most likely it is the case that the armor bearer has no weapons of his own. If he does, it's farming equipment. So here I am, the armor bearer, what am I supposed to say? Well, we're going to find out that this armor bearer had a lot of faith in Jonathan, and they both had a lot of faith in God. But this is a crazy... I want to be clear here. I think a lot of times we go back to the Old Testament, we read through stories, and we ignore how crazy they are. This is a crazy, stupid plan on Jonathan's part. This is a crazy, silly, no good plan. And as we keep reading, it only gets worse. It only gets more foolish. Because at least according to human wisdom, right? And if you're waiting for Jonathan to reveal that he had some special secret knowledge, if you're waiting for Jonathan to reveal some amazing strategy, or perhaps what you're waiting for most is you're waiting for Jonathan to reveal that God is leading him, that God has spoken to him and given him this order, you're going to be sorely disappointed because Jonathan seems to be flying by the seat of his pants a little bit go to verse 4. It says, There were sharp, sharp columns of rock on both sides of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine garrison. One was named Bozes and the other Sineh. One stood to the north in front of Michmash and the other to the south in front of Giba. So they're going through this mountain pass and it, there are cliffs on either side and it looks like they're going to have to climb a cliff in order to get to the city itself. And the two names that are mentioned, Sennet and Bozes, Sennet means thorny. Bozes, we're not exactly sure what it means. Some people believe it means slippery. So take your pick as to which you'd rather have, right? Would you rather climb the thorny cliff or the slippery cliff, right? He's got to choose one or the other to get up to this city. And Jonathan, he turns to the armor bearer, verse 6, the verse that was read to us. Jonathan said to the attendant who carries weapons, Come on, let's cross over the garrison of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will help us. Nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I've got to say, I love this verse. And I am so comforted by this verse. Not just because of that amazing statement he says where nothing can stop the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. That's a great statement. But I'm more comforted By one word. Can you guess what that word is? It says, perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will save us. Now you may say, that's comforting? I'll explain why it's comforting in a few minutes. But as the armor bearer, you might say, perhaps? Maybe? Maybe? You're telling me to follow you on on a maybe? What are you talking about, Jonathan? We're here two men. One of you has... Yeah, you have a sword. I have to carry it for you. But you're telling me you don't know this is the right plan? But Jonathan and the armor bearer both have radical faith. And really, they seem to be drawing from each other. They build each other up, right? Jonathan says, Hey, come on, let's go. And he says, Are you with me? And here's what the armor bearer says. Verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7. His armor bearer responded, Do what is in your heart. You choose. I am here with you, whatever you decide. They had to be very close, didn't they? Uh, It seems like they were very close to one another. And they had faith and confidence in one another, and they were building each other up. A more direct or literal translation would be something like, I am with you like your heart is with you. So the armor bearer, even though we don't know his name, seems to be very close to with jonathan he has confidence in jonathan and that's all jonathan needs to hear so jonathan says okay let's go verse eight all right jonathan replied we'll cross over to the men and then let them see us if they say wait until we reach you then we will stay where we are and not go up to them but if they say come on up then we'll go up because the lord has handed them over to us that will be our sign it doesn't take a brilliant military mind to realize this is a crazy, stupid plan. Can you imagine Jonathan laying out the master plan? He says, step one, let them see us. Give up the element of surprise, right? That's no big deal. We don't need that. We're un, you know, underarmed and, and outnumbered, but we don't need the element of surprise in this fight. He says, first, we're going to go out there and let them see us. Step two, if they decide to give up their advantage of being up in this fortified place, if they start to climb down to us, and who knows how good of climbers they are. Some might fall, right? They might lower their numbers that way. Or maybe they are reaching the bottom at different times so we could fight them one-on-one, right? If they decide to do that, to give up their advantage, Jonathan says, that's when we're not fighting them. In fact, depending on how you interpret it, he says we'll stay where we are, but it seems to be that that his inclination is we won't fight. We'll kind of go away at that point. He says instead, if they tell us to climb the cliff, they tell us to go up to them, then we'll know that the Lord has delivered them into Israel's hands. This is a crazy plan. Are you with me on that? You know, we might read it and we might ignore that, but hard to ignore when you really view it from a human perspective that this when you view it from that from a military perspective from a human perspective this just doesn't make sense this plan but these men are pretty confident they're setting their ways and they go verse 11 they let themselves be seen by the Philistine garrison and the Philistines said look the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've been hiding. The men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer. Come on up, we'll teach you a lesson, they said. Follow me, Jonathan told his armor bearer, for the Lord has handed them over to Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer behind him. Notice that he's climbing up with his hands and feet. What does that mean? He's completely vulnerable. Right? Who knows if they're throwing rocks down or if they're shooting arrows, whatever, you know, slings who knows how they're, you know, what the Philistines are doing, but they are climbing up this rock wall completely vulnerable. It says with, the arm, with his armor bearer behind him, Jonathan cut them down and his armor bearer followed and finished them off. You know what that tells me? It tells me that the armor bearer wasn't armed. It seems like he was dependent upon Jonathan striking the first blow so that he could pick up a weapon behind him and keep, and keep the fighting going as well. But, it says, in that first assault, Jonathan and his armor bearer struck down about 20 men in a half-acre field. Who would follow Jonathan on this plan? Who would be like that armor bearer? I don't, I'm not sure I would. In fact, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't. But this is the faith and the confidence that they had in the Lord and in each other. We look at verse 15 and we see that this amazing act of initiative on Jonathan and the armor bearer's part starts a chain reaction. And of course, it's God at work in all of this. Verse 15, it says, Terror spread through the Philistine camp and the open fields to all the troops. Even the garrison and the raiding parties were terrified. The earth shook and terror spread from God. When Saul's watchmen in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, they saw the panicking troops scattering in every direction. So Saul said to the troops with him, Call the roll and determine who has left us. They called the roll and saw that Jonathan and his armor-bearer were gone. Saul told Ahijah, Bring the ark of God, for it it was with the Israelites at that time. While Saul spoke to the priest, the panic in the Philistine camp increased in intensity. So Saul said to the priest, Stop what you are doing. Verse 20, Saul and all the troops with him assembled and marched to the battle. And there the Philistines were fighting against each other in great confusion. There were Hebrews from the area who had gone earlier into the camp to join the Philistines. But even they joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelite men who had been hiding in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they also joined Saul and Jonathan in the, in the battle. Verse 23. So the Lord saved Israel that day. Who saved Israel that day? The Lord. the Lord, right? Now let me ask you a question. Would he have done so if not for Jonathan? If not for his initiative? Now that's kind of a pointless question because this is how God decided to save Israel. God was using Jonathan all along, and, and so we don't want to take away from, from God's power uh, in order you know, to enact his will. But I just want us to notice in this story that this amazing act of initiative on Jonathan's part is rewarded by God. God uses him for that very reason, I believe. And, and that's why I was so comforted by the word Perhaps. By the word maybe. Because it shows us that he was not privy to all the information. And it shows us that he was guessing. Yes, it was an educated guess. But it was still a guess. But God rewarded that guess. And I think in the same way, God rewards guessing in our own lives. Now, don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about doctrine. I'm not talking about how you know we worship or things that are explicitly said in Scripture. I'm talking about everyday practical life when we're trying to follow His will. We are not privy to all of the information. We're not God. We're not all-knowing. We don't know exactly what He wants us to do in each and every decision. We can make educated guesses, though. And I believe when we step out in faith, this, one of the things this story shows us is that God rewards such guesses. Because in, in, a, in, a, in a real way, that's what faith is. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, which was read to us earlier by Tim, the great hall of faith starts off with these words. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen let me put it in other words for you faith is being confident even in the midst of maybes faith is being confident that we're following god that he is leading us where we need to go even when the path is so foggy that we can't see our hand before our face faith means not confidence in ourselves not confidence in the decision we made but confidence that God knows what he's doing and that God will take care of us Now I don't want to draw too many comparisons with this story in our own situation I think we might <clears throat> excuse me we might come to a point where we stretch it too far right I'm sure there are a lot of things we could come up with right we're in spiritual warfare the same way Jonathan was in warfare You know, our backs are against the wall, spiritually speaking. You could say, you know, there's a lot of things we could come up with. But there's only one thing I want us to really take from this story. One thing, and that is the example of Jonathan's faith. And the armor bearer. We'll throw him in too. But the example of their faith, radical faith, they completely trusted in God to take that step out into the unknown. He said, perhaps the Lord will save us. But then he goes on and he says, nothing can keep the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He was confident in his Creator and in his Savior. And it's that same radical faith that we will be needing in the next few weeks and months. It's a faith like Jonathan's. A faith in the midst of maybes. A confidence that God is in control some people call it a leap of faith now I know that that term gets a bad rap some of the time because I think a lot of people would believe that that implies following God without any good reason right, or without any thought now that's not the type of faith I'm talking about Uh, instead I'm talking about a leap into the unknown yes but guess what our path may be unknown, but our Lord is known. We have all the reason in the world to trust Him. He's taken care of us up to this point. Why should we believe He would do anything different? He has opened so many doors for us, opportunities in our, in our way that, that truly make us believe He is leading us in this direction. Why would He then punish us for following and walking through these doors He's opened? I truly believe that God will reward our radical faith. And it's not, again, it's not confidence in the path. It's confidence in the Lord. I don't know where we're going. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But I know whom I have believed. I know that God will take care of us. We have all the reason in the world to trust Him. So, it may be true for some of you that you're not quite on board yet. <clears throat> I think most of us are, but there's always there's always lingering doubt and for some, the doubt might be more than just lingering. I hope and I pray that if you are still outside looking in on this, I, I really hope and I pray. That you will open your mind to a new perspective. That you will try to hop on board this train because those of us who are on it, it's one of the most exciting times in our life. And we are experiencing what we are experiencing is hope-filled. It is completely in faith, and it's it's an experience I'll always look back on with gratitude. And so I really hope you'll get on board the train rather than let it pass you by now that yes there are going to be sacrifices there are going to be things we don't like there are going to be things that happen that maybe give us speed bumps along the way but that doesn't make it a bad decision every change is hard even good change you might say especially good change is hard if it were easy everybody would be doing it I'm reminded of again my son when he was first born we took him home for the first time. I heaved his carrier into the living room, set him down, and then Chris and I looked at each other and we were like, now what? Right? We had no idea what to do. We had this little alien cone-headed thing in our house. What are we supposed to do with this thing? He completely turned our life upside down. And there were several days where it was a real struggle where we didn't know what to think or how to feel. It was hard. And it's still hard, right? We had to give up certain things. We had to make sacrifices. We had to give up certain freedoms. We can't just do whatever we want now, right? But all of those struggles, does that make it a bad thing? That I had my son? Are you kidding? (laughs) Absolutely not. My life is league's better now with him in my life than it ever was before. Even though my life is also much harder. Sacrifices come with change, but that doesn't make change bad. And in the same way that Luke turned my life upside down in a good way, I truly believe that that's what we're in store for in this church. That we are about to embark on an amazing journey that will Flip things upside down and will be a wonderful, amazing blessing for us. But yes, it's going to come with struggles. But I I also want to note that with the potential for greatness also comes the potential for calamity. Satan will be attacking us. And I'm sure he already is. And so we need to be on the search and on the lookout for the things he's, for, for his how he plays his game. Let me give you three warnings and then the lesson will be yours. Three warnings of three different mindsets we need to cut loose from. Three mindsets that if they root themselves and they plant themselves in this church, they could cause real speed bumps and real problems in this process. First mindset is the selfish mindset. If we go into this process thinking only about ourselves... We're only going to cause problems for other people. And I hope and I pray that each and every one of us not only are we approaching this move this way, I really pray that we are we approach the church this way. That we ask not what I not what the church can do for me, but what I can do for the church. How can I contribute? What can I do to make this easier? It's the it's the mindset of Christ, the mindset of a servant. And I hope that we all have that mindset. The second danger is the fearful mindset. Now, I believe we've proven already we're not allowing fear to stop us. We're not allowing fear to paralyze us. We wouldn't have sold our building if, if we were paralyzed by fear. But that being said, we still need to be on the search for it. We need to be on the lookout. Because a church that is paralyzed by fear is not a church. It's not. It's, Satan gets what he wants if we're paralyzed by fear. The third mindset that we should look out for is the apathetic mindset. The mindset that we just don't really care all that much. And this is one of Satan's greatest weapons because it's one of his most subtle weapons. And let me just be frank for a moment. I don't think Satan has really gotten us with selfishness or with... Fear. I don't see I don't foresee a future where we where we move and then we split because everyone had their own opinions and no one was willing to compromise. Right? That would be the danger of selfishness. I don't see that happening. I also don't see I don't think fear has taken root because here we are willing to go in this process at all. But you know what future I can see happening for us? Maybe it's a small chance, but it's still there. I could see us getting a new place and settling in and becoming apathetic as if we were looking for a new building as a vacation home. Folks, we're going to hit the ground running. We need to hit the ground running. And this move is not just to solve financial problems. It's not just to solve you know, uh, stewardship problems, although those are big issues. And I'm glad we have a solution for them. We're also moving because we are following God and we want to work for Him. And wherever we are planted, we want to be a blessing to the community and to those around us. Now, I think that's a small chance. But it's one we need to look out for. We need to look out for all three of these things. Because here we are, stepping out in faith. The path ahead is winding. It's foggy. We're not gonna, we're not gonna be certain of everything that is before us. But if we step out with radical faith, God will take care of us. I truly believe that. I believe He's taking care of us every step of the way. He had, I mean, it's, it's quite evident when you look at what's been happening. And all of that makes me very excited. I hope and I pray that you're excited with me. In fact, go ahead and turn to a neighbor, and even if you don't really mean it, just go ahead and say, say, to, say to your neighbor, "I'm excited. Are you excited? Good. Turn. I'm excited. This is exciting. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you, and I, I say this. Obviously, someone who's not as attached to the building as maybe I would be if I'd been here longer. But I am so excited. I'm so excited for our future. This is an amazing, amazing blessing. And I hope you're excited with me. Because what we have here is rare. It doesn't happen... Very often. And this moment in your life, as Richard talked about last week, he can only think of two times he's ever felt this way. That's when he went to Kenya, which was, of course, an amazing time in his life for God and for himself spiritually. And he said the second time was now. That should, re- that should help us realize just how monumentous this is. And it's not monumentous like a Greek tragedy It's monumentous as as an amazing opportunity that's wonderful. So, yes, it's going to be hard. I understand that. But I hope you'll be willing to open your mind to how exciting it is, too. Because God's going to take care of us. He has and He will. He can and He will. He has and He will continue to do so. The lesson is yours. I know this isn't the type of lesson that generally lends itself to an invitation, but I, do, I would not be doing my job as a minister if I didn't offer one. If you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Christ, if you've not turned yourself over to Him in radical faith, knowing that He can and He will save you, I really, I pray that you will do so. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you haven't been on board. Now is the best time to get on board. Please come, whatever your need is, please come as together we stand and sing.